Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com. Welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in this evening for the vacationing Ryan Recker. Thanks for staying up late with us. Uh, we've got some news of the day to cover in this segment. And then uh, about 9.15 or so, we're going to be uh, talking with uh, the Salvation Army about how things are going. How do you do what the Salvation Army does in the middle of a pandemic? How do you raise money? How do you help people? How do you reach people? How do you connect to people in a time when we're supposed to not be connecting with anybody? So we're going to talk to the Salvation Army about that at about 9.15. But uh, but until then, we've got a lot of news to cover here in this segment. And I really want to start with this story because this is a story that I've been following for a very, very long time. Uh, just today, Gardner, Kim Gardner, Circuit Attorney, City of St. Louis, she was removed from the Patricia McCloskey case. Now, Last week, she was removed from the Mark McCloskey case because Mark McCloskey and Patricia McCloskey have different charges. You can't they're not just charge together and they have different judges. And what I think is interesting is both judges reached the exact same conclusion. Now, last week, it was Judge Thomas Clark. He ruled actually it was on December 10th. He disqualified Gardner in the case against Patricia McCloskey's husband, Mark, based upon emails, and you've heard this story, based upon emails that Kim Gardner used to send out when she was running for re-election. And today, uh, the judge in Patricia McCloskey's case, I think that was Judge Michael Stelzer, he reached the same decision. So we have two different judges, same fact pattern, different defendants, who reached the exact same conclusion for the exact same reasons. And I think it's interesting that Kim Gardner has filed an appeal on the Mark McCloskey case, the decision that came down on December 10. She's filed an appeal with the Court of Appeals, and I just don't foresee any way that the Court of Appeals is going to rule in her favor. So I would also expect her to file an appeal in the Patricia McCloskey case and the order that came down. Actually, I think that order came down uh, yesterday. So 
We're going to see that also appealed, and there probably will be one decision reached by the Court of Appeals in both cases. Now, here's what I think is interesting. What is a conflict of interest? What is it? Well, it's not hard. I mean, we know what conflicts of interest are in other areas, but in this instance, you know, it's pretty understood that a, that a personal belief or an interest could interfere with a prosecutor's ability to serve the public interest. And in fact, Judge Clark in the Mark McCloskey case found that Kim Gardner's conduct of sending out emails, basically uh, running for re-election on the back of this case, and I'm quoting here, raises the appearance that she initiated a criminal prosecution for political purposes. Now, to me, and the first thing that struck me was the fact that Kim Gardner used the McCloskey case to advance her political career shows that, at least in my opinion, she was not motivated by the pursuit of justice, but rather the pursuit of office. And folks, that is the quintessential conflict of interest for a prosecutor. So I don't foresee uh, Kim Gardner getting any relief from the Court of Appeals and uh, we'll see. I'm sure there'll be a, a, a decision from the Court of Appeals. If I were to guess, I would say March, April, May timeframe, maybe sometime in there, because it's going to take time for it to go up to the Court of Appeals. Uh, the briefs will have to be filed, maybe even oral arguments scheduled. So uh, when that decision is made, I'm sure either when I'm hosting or filling in for somebody or if Ryan's in, uh, he'll have me on to talk about that. So we will fill you in as soon as a decision is reached. You know, last week, the Post-Dispatch, I read the Post-Dispatch every day. I uh, can't say that I always agree with them. Okay, I mostly don't agree, certainly almost never agree with the editorial page of the Post-Dispatch. But the editorial page ran an editorial arguing that Missouri should legalize should legalize recreational marijuana. And, uh, and I'm going to go through that probably in the 10 o'clock hour. Uh, because there are a lot of interesting points that they make in support of their argument to legalize marijuana. Now, you know, I'm a conservative. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm, I, I'm proud of, the, of the, my conservative principles, and I never back down from them. But I've got some friends of mine who call themselves libertarians. And whenever someone tells me, hey, Brad, you know I'm not a conservative. I'm really just a libertarian. I can ask them about five or six questions and usually, not always, not always, but usually it all comes down to a libertarian is basically someone who's mostly conservative, but they want to smoke weed. And so they call themselves libertarians so they can argue in support of legalizing marijuana laws. Uh, and again, that's not always the case. It's not, of course, across the board, but that's generally what I find. So uh, uh, I always tease them then about being libertarian, and then I ask them, when was the last time Jamaica purchased over in Collinsville, Illinois? And, uh, and then uh, laughter ensues. So, you know, talking about lawsuits, one of the other cases we'll get to probably in the 10 o'clock hour will be, and I find this to be infinitely fascinating. There's an animal rights group based in New York, and they sued the Bronx Zoo, claiming that an elephant had human rights and should be set free. And their argument was, the elephant hasn't been convicted of any crime. The elephant hasn't committed any crimes. And so because of that, uh, he, the elephant has 
the uh, the right to be set free because there's no charges pending against him. So the New York Appellate Court issued a ruling late last week. I'm going to break that down for you because it gets to the heart of our 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 ideas of right and wrong and to whom should they apply? Should they apply to elephants? Should they apply to dolphins? Should they apply to crickets? So we're going to talk about that. And uh, and if we have time, we're also going to talk about with all of this discussion of a vaccine, what happens if you have a bad reaction to the vaccine? Can you sue Moderna? Can you sue Pfizer? Can you file a lawsuit, you know, hire one of these guys that advertises on TV and file a lawsuit against AstraZeneca? The answer, that's no. And I'm going to tell you why that is, uh, again, after we have a chance to talk to uh, to the Salvation Army about fundraising in the middle of a pandemic. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this to talk about the Salvation Army and how they're doing in this year of a pandemic. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. We'll be right back. St. Louis's Morning News. Total Information AM. Weekday mornings at 5 on KMOX and KMOX.com. Welcome back to Overnight America. I don't know if you know this, but the Salvation Army is the only charitable organization that offers services in every zip code in the United States. The only one. It serves more than 58 million meals per year to those in need. And the Salvation Army provides almost 11 million nights of shelter each year to those displaced by floods or storms, poverty, and even immigrants at the border. So, Major Shell Steinsland, Regional Commander with the Salvation Army, welcome to Camo X. Good evening. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you being with us this evening. And uh, how long have you been with the Salvation Army? Well, it will be 40 years this coming June. Oh, my goodness. You must have joined when you were 10. I would like to think so, but my wife tells me I'm off a little bit on my back. <laughs> well, for most people I've found who are, are not in the midst of an emergency, their only encounter with the Salvation Army occurs during Christmas time. And I read today that there are usually 25,000 bell ringers nationwide every Christmas. But obviously, this year's different. How has COVID impacted uh, the Salvation Army's ability to get out bell ringers and to, and to raise money for all of the fantastic things that you guys do every year? How has COVID impacted that? Well, I think it goes without saying this has been a most unusual year. One of the things we've had in our media releases uh, throughout the year is that due to COVID, uh, there have been less red kettles out in the corners in front of stores. It's been difficult to get volunteers and bell ringers who are willing to be out there. Many of the stores who are our partners have been very generous with us, but really it has been difficult to get people to get out there. Plus, you know, when you go to the stores, you often see signs that uh, they don't have a lot of coins and stuff like that. So we have really... Uh, try to get as many volunteers out there throughout Christmas, but the kettles, those ended on uh, December 24th, and we're grateful for all those who helped us out. But we did come in uh, below our, our target for kettles like that. Hmm. Have you ever been a bell ringer? Is that something you've ever done? Well, yes. I grew up in the Salvation Army because the Salvation Army not only is the world's largest and uh, oldest provider of social services, we're also a faith-based uh, organization. So 
I grew up in the Salvation Army in the Chicago area where we had a chapel. We had Sunday school services. So when I was a teenager, I would help out by going out and ringing the bells. And last week, uh, being the, the regional commander, I went and rang bells for a number of our units here. So uh, it was nice when it was 50 degrees out. But mm. Christmas morning it, or Christmas Eve, it was 21 degrees. Ooh, so that's cold. That was that was cold indeed. That's cold. Well, you you know, you mentioned some of the challenges that you've had this year. And to me, I think it's ironic because in a year where you're facing challenges in fundraising, it's perhaps the year where your services are in the most demand. Well, that's correct. Just in the uh, Missouri and Southern Illinois region that we are overview, we had over 100,000 people who came to us relying on, uh, on, on our assistance. Uh, we saw 32% of Americans owing money for missed rent and mortgages mm. and utilities and things like that, something that normally would not find themselves worried about. But since the beginning of the pandemic, the Salvation Army across the United States provided over 100 million meals, which is about 155% increase over the same period last year. Wow. And here in St. Louis, we served 121,000 through our mobile feeding units, drive through pantries, and meals at shelters. And so to date, more than 800,000 people have received also emotional, spiritual care nationally, and over 10,000 from here locally from our trained professionals. Hmm. Thank you for all you do. And just for all of those folks, the 800,000 people annually, annually who, who might get some type of assistance one way or the other, uh, in what other forms does that assistance take? Because usually for most folks, the Salvation Army is just somebody that swoops in uh, when there's a hurricane or a fire. But for you and from your perspective, there's so much more. Well, that's absolutely correct. There, there's a, a large number of programs that take place throughout the year. We have a summer camp about an hour out of town where kids are able to go there and to enjoy the fresh air and activities there. We have programs in many of our units here in the region. We have our emergency disaster services. We have our emergency food pantries. And we also have some of our essential programs that serve those who are uh, especially hurting some of our anchor institutions are the Midtown Treatment Center, the Ferguson Community Empowerment Center, and Family Haven Shelter. And the gifts that we collect stay here in St. Louis region and help these programs provide these important services. Hmm. We're talking to Major Shell Steinsland, and he's with the Salvation Army. And, and I just don't believe that most people uh, have any idea other than what you just said. That's probably enlightening to so many folks about how you help uh, people in need uh, because for the most part, like I said, all they see is maybe people standing at the red kettles. But uh, the Salvation Army is famous for your Tree of Lights campaign. And I saw the tree downtown last week. You mentioned that the kettle receipts are, are, are behind your goals for this year. Is that the same as the Tree of Lights or, or is that a separate fundraising effort? It is part of Tree of Lights. Our Tree of Lights goal this year was $5.8 million, which includes the kettles in there. And at this point, because of a slow season, uh, we, we're only a little over halfway into our goal right now. We are taking uh, accepting donations through the end of January, and we really hope that people uh, who have not had a chance to give it, they would, would take opportunity to give to us. There's many ways they can do that. They can call our 800 number, one 800 dot. Uh, dot org, or they can do the Salvation Ar- Sal Army uh, Midland dot org, or they can do Rescue Christmas to seven six two seven eight to help uh, I- people in need. Or for today's people, you can also ask Amazon Alexa to donate by saying Alexa, donate to the Salvation Army, and then specify an amount. Fantastic! Really, you you work through Alexa now. That is so cool. I didn't know that. 
Well, on our kettles this year, on the buckets, we also had the little signs there where you can also do Apple Pay and Google Pay. And uh, so we're trying to expand the ways people can can uh, provide funds because I think we all find ourselves out uh, very often not carry a lot of cash, but we all carry a lot of credit cards and things like that. So we're trying to make sure that we have ways that people can donate uh, who are not carrying cash. Yeah, until recently, I just sent you guys a check every month, and now now I've got it set up where I can do it electronically. But uh, I'm glad that you make it convenient for people to be involved because you know one of the one of the things that I find impressive, at, at least about like for example, through uh, many churches now, there's such a focus on community, and I know that the Salvation Army has been in the community helping business uh, for 150 years. Yeah, that's absolutely correct, and uh, we we've been uh, we're worldwide. I mean, we are over 130 countries. We're in every state of the United States, so we are everywhere, which is one of our strengths. And uh, we we are in each of those communities serving when a need arises, whether it's COVID or disaster or just a day to day emergencies needing help with food, utilities, and things like that. Hey, uh, speaking of bell ringers, you know, I remember that in years past, management with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, would be ringing bells. I even saw Fred Bird once ringing a bell. Uh, uh, have you worked with any any celebrities or any? Have you known any celebrity bell ringers here locally? I have not. I just arrived here in St. Louis beginning of July, right in the middle of COVID. So a lot of those Ooh. type of celebrity things have not been working as much this year because we're limited in how many people we can have out on a kettle site. So we're looking forward to next year as we hope things return back to what we had considered normal and see a lot more of that going on. Well, I got to tell you, there aren't many celebrities in St. Louis bigger than Fred Bird. Uh, he's, yeah, whenever yeah. I would, whenever I go to Cardinal baseball games, my kids until, you know, until they were uh, well into their teenage years, we'd go to these baseball games and all they would want to do is say, Hey dad, where's Fred Bird? Hey dad, where's Fred Bird? I'm like, Hey, Albert Pujols is at the plate. Oh yeah, but where's Fred Bird? So, you know, if you could get Fred Bird as a bell ringer for next year, my friend, uh, he will be quite the celebrity. I assure you. So, uh, we'll we'll certainly keep that in mind. So, so how has your, uh, as you give services and help people in need, how has COVID changed the way that you conduct the, the outreach and the help that you provide to so many people? Well, it's become very important not only for our volunteers and our staff, but those that we serve, that we make sure that we are uh, observing the proper COVID uh, uh, restrictions. Uh, many of our doorways, when we first had everything happening, we were providing food baskets through our doorways. Uh, we uh, make sure that people come in and out, that they have the non-contact temperature to make sure that they're not sick. Uh, we make sure people are wearing their masks, they're wearing uh, their gloves, there's hand sanitizer. We make sure everybody's keeping six feet of separation. So it has, as it has society in general, it has had an impact on that. And we just had our, our Christmas toy shop finish uh, about two weeks ago at, where people came in this year. What we did different was we did it as a drive-through. We got there what mm. they were looking for for the kids in advance. We bagged things up and they came through and they were, be, were being assisted that way. In the past, it was much more personal. Uh, families would come in and pick and choose things. But obviously, uh, many things are different this year because we have to observe those processes to make sure that everybody's kept safe. 
That's a that's a great goal, and we're talking to Major Shell Steinsland with the uh, Salvation Army, and I just want to give you another opportunity, uh, Shell, to tell our audience if folks want to get involved and help in the in the fantastic work that the Salvation Army does, not just worldwide, not even just nationally, but even right here in the St. Louis region. How can folks partner with you as you work to help our community? Well, again, they can reach out to us through our uh, 800 number, 800-SAL-ARMY, or text us at Rescue Christmas 76278 to help a family in need. But also you can go to our website, which is salarmymidland.org, and there's an opportunity for you to then uh, volunteer or, or find other ways to be assistance or leave messages, and we'll be happy to get back to you and find out how we can partner together to help people in our community. Fantastic. Major Shell Steinsland with the Salvation Army. Hey, thanks for being with us tonight on CamoX. Thank you very much. Have a, have a happy new year. And a happy new year to you as well. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Hey, when we come back from this break, we've got some more news of the day. But uh, have you ever been uh, assisted by the Salvation Army? Have you received assistance from the Salvation Army? If you have, I would like to hear from you. 314-436-7900 here on Overnight America, KMOX. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back to Overnight America. We just finished up and wrapped up our inter- interview with Major Steinsland of the uh, Salvation Army here uh, in St. Louis. And I've never been the recipient of aid from the Salvation Army, but I donate to them because I agree with what they do, and I I really applaud the way they work to make our communities better. And I think one of the folks who have received or been the recipient of that is uh, Kevin, who's calling in. Hey, Kevin, welcome to Camo X. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great, sir. Thank you. Well, this was a, a long time ago, right after high school. Back in 1975, I decided to go out and sow my wild oats. I was hitchhiking across the west part of the country. I was making my way back home, and I ended up in Grand Junction, Colorado. I only had like two bucks to my name, and I had a, needed a place to stay. And I was looking pretty disheveled and all that. And, uh, they put me up for a couple of nights, gave me a couple of hot meals, let me wash my mm-hmm. clothes. They said, you got all, all your requirements for you got to stay straight. And if you're going to be here for more than two nights, you got to get a job. And I said, well, thank you very much. And uh, they really helped me out. I've been giving to them ever since. And one of the few charities I do give to, I understand that they're uh, they're very uh, good with their money. They spend a lot of it on the charity. They don't use a lot of it for uh, administration and things like that. So, well, uh, you make a good point, Kevin, because, and I'm not going to name these other charities by name, but so oh, many. I wasn't going to either. Oh, I know, and I'm not either. But but I, I have read in the past that so many of these other charities, particularly ones that are nationwide, you know, pay their executives millions of dollars to run the charity. And, you know, Salvation Army just doesn't do that. Uh, they, yeah, they, they don't. They give so much of the money that comes in, and they just turn it around and give it to folks like you in the 70s who were down, who had some problems, and they helped you get back on your feet. I mean, I, I needed something, and they, they provided it, and I was very grateful. I've been very, very grateful ever since, because otherwise I've been sweeping out in the cold. End. Yep. Well, Kevin, you're doing what the, you're you're doing what's called paying it forward. When you support them because they helped you, you're now empowering the Salvation Army to help another Kevin who may be down on his luck. And then well, when he gets helped, he'll be in turn paying it forward in the future as well. I just thought it was you know it was, it was 
it was real nice. It was real clean. I, they gave me what I needed, and they, if they said if I expected more, well, then I got to do something for them. I said, well, I'll be on my way. <laughs> I made it back to St. Louis, but I've been, a, but I've, you know, I've been, I, I give every time I see a red kettle, that kind of thing. And very good. Hey, Kevin, thanks for calling in and sharing your story. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you. Thank you. You know, that's a good example. And, and Kevin was talking about how he was paying it forward. And one of the rules, I think it's interesting, one of the one of the things that they told Kevin when he was, uh, you know, staying with the Salvation Army in the 70s was that uh, he, he couldn't be drinking or using drugs while he was staying there. He had to get cleaned up and he had to get a job. And that's it. That's true empowerment. You know, it that's the the old saying of not just giving a person a fish to eat for a day, but they were trying to teach Kevin how to be a fisherman to feed himself for a lifetime. And uh, sometimes there's some tough love involved with that. But what uh, what that reminds me of, particularly when they said about, you know, we we got to get you off. Uh, uh, you can't be drinking. You can't be using drugs while you're here. The the Post Dispatch last week made this, they, they came out with an editorial. And this is certainly something that a lot of, of, uh, of people disagree on. It's not necessarily something that we, we yell and scream about, like, uh, like the election. But Post-Dispatch made the argument last week that we should, in Missouri, we should legalize marijuana. That's just the bottom line. We should get it legalized. And here are some of the points that the Post-Dispatch made. And I, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I disagree with that. I am not in favor of legalizing marijuana. Uh, I've never used marijuana once in my life, ever. Uh, but I'm not in favor of it. But let me talk to you and tell you what the Post argued. And then I'm going to have some of my own uh, rebuttals to that. And if you've got some ideas on whether Missouri should follow in Illinois footsteps, give us a call, 314 436 7,900. You know, the first thing that the Post argues is that after the November 3rd election, 33% of Americans now live in a state where recreational marijuana is legal. All told, I think the number is 15. 15 states have now legalized recreational marijuana. And just this past election, on November 3rd, states such as New Jersey, Arizona, South Dakota, and Montana all legalized marijuana. And that's in addition to Illinois, who legalized recreational marijuana last January. And the Post makes, this, makes the argument that, well, Illinois has, has collected $100 million in tax revenue from the sale of marijuana in just one year. So undoubtedly, uh, the, the Post argues, some of that money came from Missouri residents who drove across the border and uh, and purchased some marijuana over there. So they were getting some Missouri tax dollars. But the flaw in that argument is that, well, we can legalize anything. Like, for example, I'm going to give you an extreme example. We can legalize murder. As long as it's a contract hit, we can legalize murder, but we're going to charge you like the, like the folks charge in Africa to hunt elephants. And so we're going to charge you $500,000 in tax revenue to go out and murder someone. Who would be in favor of that? Nobody, of course. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's immoral. And no one would even argue for that. But the reason why I give that absurd example is just because you can raise revenue 
from an activity doesn't mean that that activity should be legal just because you could raise money off of it. So the economic argument of saying marijuana should be legalized to me is specious because it doesn't apply to any other illegal activity. In other words, just because you raise money from the illegal activity doesn't make it right. Jack's got an opinion on this topic. Hey, Jack, welcome to Overnight America. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to weigh in. Sure. I guess, so based on the, the tax revenue argument, I agree that that's not a reason why it should be legalized, but I will say that I've seen tens of thousands of dollars of illegal profit be made as a result of it not being legalized. Mm-hmm. And there's an epidemic going on where kids are, reaching for anything they can find under the cupboard, under the sink, to get a cheap pie instead of maybe some nice legal marijuana. What do you guys think about that? Well, that's and, and that's a point, uh, Jack, that is much better argument. You know, that's something that we can we can discuss and raise points on because you're right. If someone can't get access to marijuana, they may have a desire to 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 uh, huff paint or to buy illegal drugs on the street that may or may not be legitimate drugs. They could be tainted with other drugs. Exactly. And, so, and one of the alternatives actually is uh, dextromethorphan, which is a, an over-the-counter medication that's been highly abused by teens and adults alike as a result of, the, you know, it's the only thing that's legal and it's around. It's easy to get, cheap. But, but, but the essence of that argument, Jack, is it's saying, well, both of these things are wrong, but if we legalize marijuana, that would be less wrong than using these other drugs. And I still don't think it's, it's beneficial to have more people recreationally intoxicated, whether that's with a legal drug or an illegal drug. But, hey, I appreciate you calling in this evening on Camo X. Thank you. I appreciate it, too. I just want to say uh, everyone should start using DXM instead of weed. Okay. Okay. Thanks for that announcement. Uh, hey, Barb, what's on your mind this evening? Thanks for coming. Thanks for calling in on Camo X. Oh yes, sir. Um, they shouldn't legalize marijuana because uh, one man said that he went from legalizing marijuana in his state in um, in one of the states, and he got into cocaine, and then he got into heroin, mm-hmm. and he can't get off of it. And it was written in the Post-Dispatch that some people can't get off of heroin, and they started with marijuana. And uh, they were crying out because they can't get off of it. And uh, basically, when you get into drugs, it, 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 it goes up the scale and uh, for higher drugs because of the, your brain wants higher drugs. Mm-hmm. So, um, And my brother out in Colorado, uh, somebody ran into his uh, son's car in the middle of the night. They had a uh, marijuana party, and uh, they destroyed the car completely, totaled it. And we never did find out who totaled mm. the car. So um, the thing about it is, is, and the car was, you know, just sitting in the driveway. So, um, and my brother tried to find out um, who just, you know, destroyed mm-hmm. the whole car and uh, totaled it out, but he never could find out, and they had a marijuana party. So what I'm saying is, um, I don't think I think the federal government should do something about this uh, legalizing of of drugs. This is a drug. It and, is. It is. And, it is truly a drug. Yes, it is. And basically, when I was in high school at Melville High School, um, the police came and told us never to use marijuana. 
because the, um, they said that uh, it would cause birth defects in children, and eventually, in uh, by the woman or the man. So I don't know if it will, but like I said, uh, they that's what they were telling us. Well, very good, Barb. I appreciate you calling in and sharing your thoughts this evening on Overnight America. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Hey, we've got some other folks holding. We're going to come up on a break here. When we come back from the break, we'll get back to some of the callers. What are your thoughts? Should we be legalizing marijuana in Missouri? Yes or no? Yay or nay? What say you? 314-436-7900. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. Welcome back to uh, Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in here for Ryan Recker. And we're talking about do or should we legalize recreational marijuana? 314-436-7900. Now, I draw a distinction between medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. Why is that? Well, medical marijuana is, you know, marijuana is a drug. Let's just call it what it is. THC is a drug. And so I believe that there are some medicinal benefits of marijuana. And if so, people shouldn't be deprived of that for medicinal purposes as long as it's controlled by a doctor. I mean, at that point, it's no different than oxycodone, oxycontin, Vicodin, Valium, okay? All of those drugs have a recreational use to them, but they also have a medicinal use. And so doctors control that. They write scripts for that. So I don't personally have a problem. It's not like marijuana is the scarlet drug and it must be banned from society, but it's a drug. And if doctors want to write scripts for that, I think that there are some legitimate uses for that. Let me give you a quick example. Uh, I my, my law practice deals primarily in personal injury law. Folks get hurt. Uh, I'm always on the management side. I represent employers and companies and insurance carriers. And so I sit and read medical records all day long. I write letters to doctors that are 10 pages long. And I depose doctors on a regular, regular basis. And I can tell you that one of the biggest issues in the medical community today is the, uh, is the dependency on opioid medications, that doctors will write scripts for people who have back injuries, neck injuries, orthopedic injuries. And the, the science, you talk about follow the science. The science here is that opioid medication truly only works for about six months, that after six months, you develop a tolerance to that, and the opioids have a less, less lessened effect and ability to take away pain the longer you take it. So for many folks who have long-term chronic pain issues, I don't see any reason why medical marijuana couldn't be a viable option for someone in that position. But that's wholly different than saying recreational marijuana. Because, again, if marijuana is a drug, let's compare it to a drug. Let's say, hey, why don't we just legalize OxyContin? Why don't we just legalize that? Well, Purdue Pharmacies just paid billions of dollars and essentially is getting run out of business because they duped doctors to write scripts and they duped people into taking enormous amounts of opioids when really they didn't need it. 
and people have suffered because of it. So that whole argument of, well, uh, you know, medical mar- marijuana can help people. Why are you trying to ban it? I'm not looking to ban it. I'm just looking to ban recreational. I'm not in favor of making it legal for recreational use, just like I'm not in favor of any other drug being legalized for recreational use. So there is a distinction between medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. Also, look at the carcinogenic effect. The carcinogenic effect of marijuana, at least four times worse than cigarettes. And how many times, how often do we hear doctors saying, don't smoke, don't smoke cigarettes? Well, if marijuana is four times worse for you from the perspective of inhaling smoke, inhaling tar, and inhaling other carcinogenic substances when you smoke marijuana, why would anyone be in favor of that? Why would anyone say, yeah, we we don't want you to smoke cigarettes, but hey, it's okay to smoke something that's four times worse. That's fine, but we don't want you smoking cigarettes. That's ridiculous and it's foolish. So if cigarettes are bad for you and if cigarettes will kill you, how much more would smoking marijuana do the same? Now, I know the argument. The argument is if someone smokes two packs of cigarettes a day, that's different than smoking two joints on a Saturday night. Okay, so the usage may be different, but the bottom line is the product itself is four times worse and four times more harmful for you than our cigarettes. Why should we be encouraging you to take it? You know, and there's another issue that I have. The other issue that I have with marijuana is this, and this is going to take a little bit of time to explain. You know, think about whenever we started legalizing casinos whether it was in Illinois and then Missouri got on on board on the boat, they got on the ship to legalize gambling. What were we told? And just think about it. We were told this is going to help our kids. This money is going to go towards education and it's going to help our schools and it's going to help fund teachers and it's going to help our children. It's for the children. It's for the children, we were told. Well, as you look back at all this casino money that's been rolling in, are our schools in any substantially better position today strictly and solely and exclusively because of casino money? No. And let me tell you the reason why. And I'm going to make up these numbers. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I'm going to make up these numbers for you for discussion purposes so you understand the point I'm making. Let's say, for example, and again, Understand, I'm making this number up. But let's say, for example, the the amount of money that goes towards schools in Missouri is a billion dollars. I don't know what the number is, but for discussion purposes, it's a nice round number. So if that casino money that comes in is an extra $200 million, the way legislatures do this, not just in Missouri, but in every state, the way they do it is they'll earmark that $200 million from the casinos to go towards education fund, but then they'll just divert an extra $200 million from general funding and put it somewhere else. So the net effect is the same amount of money. So when you talk about this money, that's going to go from the casinos to help our kids, does that money actually go into education? Yes, it does. Does it create an additional exact amount based upon the revenue gained from that activity? And the answer to that is no, because the legislatures simply divert that money to other things. So the net effect really isn't to help our kids. 
the net effect is just to grow government. So if our schools haven't gotten any substantively better from the casinos, why would we expect our schools to get substantively better from the legalization of marijuana? We simply can't assume that. And speaking of government, here's the other problem that I have with legalizing marijuana that doesn't even get into the issue of the substance itself. If we can agree that that there are detrimental elements to smoking pot recreationally, if the government does start getting revenue, in fact, again, Illinois raised $100 million off of the smoking of marijuana last year, and it probably will increase. So let's look at Illinois for an example. If Illinois now becomes itself addicted to the tax revenue generated from the sale of marijuana, now the state is in the enviable position of saying to its citizens, we want you to engage in the risky behavior of smoking pot because we need your tax revenue. They can't come out and say, smoking pot is bad for you. Please don't smoke pot because why? It would reduce their money. So they can't come out and tell you to stop doing something bad because they're taxing what you're doing is bad. That's the inherent problem with a sin tax. And I mean sin, S-I-N tax, not S-Y-N-T-A-X, but a sin, S-I-N tax. The government now has to encourage you to engage in bad behavior because they need your money. They need your money, and they have to have your money because the government is addicted to money. And the government now wants you to engage in risky, bad behavior that's bad for you, that you shouldn't be doing, that's harmful to your health. It could cause you to have an accident. It could cause so many problems. Now the government says, oh, by the way, Joe Sixpack, please smoke more pot because we need your tax revenue. And it's, it's, that is a foolish position for a government to be in to encourage bad behavior because they want your money. That's the way it is with alcohol tax. That's the way it is right now with cigarette tax. They may come out and make some statements about we don't want you to drink and smoke, but reality is they need your money that they get from drinking and smoking. And, of course, I'm using uh, – uh, I'm saying it that way intentionally to drive home the point – that government wants you to drink and smoke because they need your tax revenue. Hey, what are your thoughts? 314-436-7900. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker. Next hour, we're going to talk predictions for 2021. What do you think is going to happen next year? I want to hear your thoughts. 314-436-7900. We'll be right back after this. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.